Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Don Sawyer from Dallas, Texas, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Dawn, for your lovely intro to the show. Catherine, how do we know Dawn? Dawn is uh, the mum of lovely Star, who was supposed to be our French Open mascot, but she sadly passed away earlier on this year. My mum, um, my mum did a portrait of Star, um, a lovely portrait, and I know she she keeps in touch with Dawn. Um, and speaks so highly of her um, and her support for the podcast and everything. So Dawn is a um, a very prominent member of the tennis podcast community. So yeah. hello, hello, lovely Dawn. Yeah. And um, I still think of that lovely picture of Star um, with um, with the mortarboard on. Oh yeah. Yeah, That's still makes me happy sent. that picture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks so much for your support, Dawn. Really appreciate it. And to everybody else who's backed us this year uh, in our Kickstarter, which has got us all the way through 137 episodes, I think we're up to, something like that. I think actually, I think it might even be 140 now. Um, and uh, and that's what we've done so far this year. And we are into the eighth and final daily from the ATP finals. And Catherine is sitting in the room that she's going to be vacating in the morning uh, at the O2 Arena inside the bubble. She's going to be let out into the community tomorrow. <laughs> um, but not before discussing victory in the 12th and final edition of the ATP finals held in London. Um, we'll get on to a few memories of the place a little bit later, but first of all, we should really talk about the edition that we've just concluded. And uh, Matt Roberts is here. Hello, Matt. You're right. Very well, thank you, David. Good, good. So Matt's been watching. Catherine's been presenting live TV. I've been watching and cooking and just generally plate spinning in my house. <laughs> and um, and Daniel Medvedev's been fighting his way back yet again from a seemingly, well, certainly a perilous position in a match to win the title. A hell of an achievement, isn't it? You say perilous position. Medvedev says, I've got you right where I want you. That's it. That's true. He's a revelation, that guy, isn't he? I mean, I, I sort of forget 
how cool he is from that US Open of, of a couple of years ago. Was it two years ago? Last year, year, year that was, year David. This is, this is, what, this is how, how everything is. Um, and then we got into the sort of the bit where he went to corporate Medvedev and I was talking about the metronomic winning of titles and, and that's all we would have. Uh, and now it feels like he's melding the two perfectly. I've really enjoyed Daniel Medvedev this this week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the match was good and everything, but how soon before we can talk about his celebration or lack thereof? <laughs> let's talk about the match first. <laughs> oh, okay, no. let's, let's build our way up. Matt can do that. So, oh, right, Matt, they came <laughs> in, these two. What was the head-to-head between these two when they started this match? I think it was 3-1 to team. Yeah, mm. and and one of those was at the US Open recently, wasn't it? Where um, I remember in in the pre-match press conference or the one after he'd beaten Nadal, Medvedev said, when I played team in that US Open match, I played really well. And that's a measure of how well Dominic team was playing and how many, how many the sort of difficulties he can cause. Uh, and I, I remember watching that match, and I remember, I think I probably, I might have even picked Medvedev to win, or at least I felt like he had a really good chance because he was he was playing well and all the reasons. But ahead of this one, he was aware of how destructive team is. Um, and really, he's a, once again, is I mean, is Medvedev a slow burner? Is he a slow starter? Or was that team just coming out of the blocks like at a million miles an hour? I don't think Medvedev necessarily had a slow start today. Uh, I just think he played one terrible game on serve in that first set and lost his serve. I mean, I feel like we just need to sort of take the conversation we had yesterday about Medvedev and insert it into this podcast because it felt like a copy, basically, of the match he played against Nadal. He was actually probably certainly as good a player in the first set, but one bad game cost him. Um, it was it was really inexplicable. It was a double fault. It was two forehand errors. It was a smash into he the net. He was 40 love up, wasn't he? Yeah, it? It, was, it was a really bizarre moment. Um, if you were trying to tank a game, which of course he wasn't, but that's what it would look like. Yeah, he, he suddenly really couldn't odd. find the court. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, then he was hanging on a bit in in the second set, and Team was looking like the better player. I felt he he certainly had a, a couple of break points, either at three all or four three, whatever that game was when Medvedev was serving, and Team missed missed a forehand. He just pushed it long, um, and that was his chance. Because after that, I thought Medvedev began playing way more fluently, and he did exactly what he did against. Nadal and started changing the tactics mid-match. He came to the net 20 times in that second set. I mean, I know we, we've we talked about his flexibility and the options at his disposal, but the sort of main way I would describe Medvedev is a baseliner and someone who is going to grind away. He does have the options, but he really used those options in this match. And I just thought it was the second match in a row where he's outthought an opponent and also the second match in a row where he's physically outlasted an opponent. I thought Nadal looked quite fatigued at the end of that semi-final, and I, I thought Team did, whereas Medvedev just kept going, just kept getting stronger. And 
it kind of was the quintessential Daniil Medvedev performance, I think. Mm. So you won the title. Catherine, you can talk about the celebration now. <laughs> well, it was just a shrug, wasn't it? It was the coolest shrug in the history of sport. And he's he's totally owning it. He's saying, yeah, this is this is my thing now. Yeah. I, ce- I celebrate with a shrug. <laughs> and I loved how he said that last year during the US Open, he thought to himself, great players have a thing. They have something iconic that they do. And he thought, I, I want a thing. And... <laughs> And he, and he decided that it's going to be to not celebrate. What a brilliant trademark. <laughs> yeah. what, what a great brand to have. I'm the bloke. He, he actually said in, in, in professional football or, or soccer, if you're in America, you, you see players sometimes score and not celebrate. Um, now, personally, I get really furious when that happens in, for my football team. If somebody scores for my team and doesn't celebrate, it winds me up. They usually do it in pre-season. Um, when the matches don't matter or they they do it when they're playing a former club which I kind of understand but it, it started to become if you do celebrate against a former club you're a complete so-and-so um, <laughs> but here where you've got everybody falling to the knees jumping punching the air climbing into the crowd to have one bloke who's just won the biggest title of his life and is ecstatic, just look like he's just held serve for 2-1 in the first <laughs> set. <laughs> because he just, the other thing he did, not only did he just sort of shrug, he also patted the ball back to the ball kid and just walked off. It was so baller. It was just great. And to have the self-awareness and and humility to just admit it yeah i wanted a thing this is my thing Uh, and to not pretend like oh it was just spontaneous like (laughs) you know oh am i doing that i did i didn't realize um yeah and that his thing is so on naff like so many things are just naff (laughs) you know i know people like gareth bale and his heart and you know the wonder bra and you know each to their own but a shrug is really wonderfully unnaff and he says he has to stop himself from celebrating you know he's he's fighting his natural <laughs> <Love> instincts <laughs> but um, he wants to do I, well i remember here last year when you know i was still uh, uh, experiencing us open fever after you guys <laughs> it's because of you um I, I I interviewed him before the tournament and I asked him about his little dance, you know, that's now one of the all time great tennis gifts. And I said I said, Oh, if you if you if you win here will you do the dance and with a little twinkle in his eye he said, Yeah and obviously I jinxed him and he didn't win any matches so the dance was off the menu. Anyway, um so yeah, he's he's gone from he's gone from sort of the Medvedev wiggle to... <laughs> which, which was a little bit Peter Corder scissor kick back in the, the late 90s, which is what he used to do. Mm. But the problem with... And, and remember when Andrea Petkovic used to have her dance, the Petco dance, and, and, I, and, and the problem was those are great when they happen, the once, but then when they become the trademark and they have to keep rolling them out, sometimes it, you, you, you don't... I can see they don't really want to do them, but this works for every occasion. Mm. Although I... 
I do feel slightly sorry for photographers. Yes, mm. we did get a note from Ella Ling is, about that. Did we? Yeah, yeah. She she said that's this is a nightmare for me because <laughs> I, yeah. I, I wonder whether I wonder whether now with Medvedev matches they're going to sort of reframe and go for the great loser shots because they know they're not going to get anything out of Medvedev. Although, if you just capture that that peak of the shrug, where the lips are at their most mm. downturned and the shoulders are up, you got to do a good I, caption I think, with it. I think. Really? Uh, yeah, probably. Well, not if he becomes so Known present, present in the public consciousness that yeah. people know it. I think yeah. at this stage, yeah, I, I get that it's the not only great. Thing but I don't like about him owning it to this degree is I quite liked the idea that the opponents didn't know that that's what he was doing. I, I loved the thought that that a Nadal might be looking across the net and thinking. He's just beaten me, and it seems to mean nothing to him. I, I still think yeah. it will wind them He's up. He's that a bit. cool. He's that cool that he doesn't even that it's that it's not a big deal. But it's not that, is it? Because he's because he's owned it and said this is my thing. I think it n- negates that personally. He's not trying to pretend that he doesn't care or that he's too too cool to care. He's telling you, I really care, but I want to have a cool thing. But it, wouldn't it be cooler if he really didn't care? No, <laughs> not caring did, they isn't cool. All right, okay, that he did care, but they didn't know he cared. That's the that's the thing. Isn't I think it? it's I think it's cool to care, and it's fine for people to know you care. Mm. This, this was a public service broadcast <laughs> from the tennis podcast he's like a wwe character he's so is i love it so this isn't this isn't the metronomic winning of titles then david no no this is the velociraptor <laughs> coming of age before our eyes returning right. to his former glories Okay. No, he's, right. Okay. he's just he's just balanced it Catherine, to perfection he's he's balanced that euphoric moment of uh going to war with a new york crowd on his own he's he's married that with winning and also having a twinkle in his eye that we kind of know about but you know i'm really i'm really liking it i'm really liking it and my word was his tennis good as well today i I do hope we're still going to get some 2019 us open antics from him of course we will. Matt, don't forget what he said to the to the umpire at the US Open recently. Oh, for what sure. Was that? Yeah, for sure. He. Uh, oh, what did he say? Well, it was against team. Because he, he, he had a very small meltdown in that first set uh, against team at the US Open where he, uh, he disagreed with a call and he actually crossed the net to go and look at it, which is a big, oh, yes. a big no-no. And then, and then he said something like, my sincere apologies to the US Open. i killed i killed somebody my sincere apologies (laughs) it it was this sort of incredible sarcasm um but he but he's shown that he can win even when he's doing well okay maybe not quite win he didn't win the us open last year but he can still have brilliant results while doing all that kind of stuff but also he can win when he's in just completely in the match zone like he was in this week he he does seem to have both traits which is perfect because that makes me think that hopefully we will see more antics from him because antics are fine but antics and winning is the 
is such a great combination. Especially winning the way oh. he's winning, because his his game is really interesting. Mm. Especially on these faster surfaces, like and indoors, the way he just—it's—it's it's almost like he a computer game where you have a, a secret weapon, and you just decide and you just decide when to utilize it, and you flick the switch, and that's what he did. And team did not mm. seem to know that that was coming. It's almost like a computer game where you don't know the controls when you start mm. and you have to figure them out as you go. And by the end, you're an absolute pro. It's kind of what he's done in these last two matches. And I think he, he really kind of rewards you if you watch the whole match. Yeah, he, that's, very, yeah. that's very true. He's, he's not a highlight no, real player, no, is he? He's absolutely. Not, I mean, he does hit some incredible shots, which are great for highlight reels, but the actual enjoyment for Medvedev comes from seeing it through from start to finish because you see all the options at his disposal and you see him change the way he's playing. And that is, that is so satisfying, I think, for anyone who just enjoys watching tennis being played. Um, there's, mm. there's just so much to kind of learn from him, I think. I... Uh... I wasn't able to attend the Dominic team press conference because I was recording highlights links at the time, but I think he, I think he's confused. I think he might be confused about why he lost that match. I do you think he understands why he lost that match. Well, I mean, he, he a little bit like Medvedev talking about their match at the U S open team said, I, I, I only really played one. There's only one point I regret in the whole, pretty much the whole match. Mm. He said, um, I, "I think I think he knows what well, he was up against today." Well, exactly, but it's far more simple to understand if it's you know I should have done this differently. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think he was at his peak today, even in that first set that he that he won. I don't think it was. I, I don't think it was peak Dominic team by any means at all. Um, but yeah, I wonder if he really. I, I do wonder if he really understands why he, why he lost. I think he. I think he seemed a bit bamboozled in that, in that third set. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? I definitely think he wasn't at his best today, team. But mm. I think a lot of that is because of what Medvedev was doing to him, probably. Um, he elongates the matches and he elongates the rallies and just makes you hmm. I think he just tires tires opponents out a little bit but I think but I think maybe Dominic team would think mm, yeah but that's what Djokovic does yeah uh, and I you know I hit through him I've got his number I you know I hang tough I'm patient I wait for my moment and then I explode that's the formula and it, if it's good enough against the world number one why isn't it good enough today? Um, you said it. You said the fact the the way that he's confusing him is tiring and 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 mm. making him have to think differently because suddenly halfway through the match he's coming to the net twenty times in a, in a set. Mm. I mean that's just extraordinary. Mm. And and that isn't something that I guess Djokovic does. He he does he does a very Djokovic like qualities with that solidity from the baseline, but we don't really see Djokovic just suddenly come to the net 20 times in a set. Um, I, get, I guess for team, what I would say is that this is, this is one match. And, you know, he did beat Medvedev a few weeks ago at the US Open. I, I think they're going to have an interesting rivalry. And I think you could kind of 
compare it to Sitsipas last year. You know, team lost that final to Sitsipas, but that didn't necessarily mean that Sitsipas got the better of the rivalry. It meant that they were going to be close in the future and teams... And best of five is different Best too. of five is different and teams, mm. teams' trajectory is still so incredibly good and upwards. This is just a, a minor bump in the road that he'll have to think about when he next plays Medvedev. But I think it'd be a stretch to say that he's got a sort of match-up problem with Medvedev just, mm. just based on this. By the way, uh, we we had a tweet from Stephen Malloy, one of our listeners, who who always entertains me with his tweets, and uh, and he actually said something here that I, I found really um, it'll stay with me. He wrote, "May I say that Medvedev is the perfect demonstration of why on-court coaching should never be allowed. His massive skill is his ability to problem solve in real time and tactically change up his approach to turn a match." Why should this be negated for cheap TV entertainment? It's very compelling, and I'm not dis- disagreeing with it. I would say TV entertainment is not cheap. It pays the bills. I don't mean my bills. I mean, it also <laughs> pays my bills. <laughs> um, I mean, everyone's bills. It pays for tennis to happen, particularly at the moment. I think just dismissing entertainment value as as frivolous isn't really fair um but yeah i still think there's a compelling point there for sure Mm. Mm. on match uh, point within seconds of match point having been secured and within seconds of having enjoyed the daniel medvedev celebration I got a text from my mother. Are we going to talk about that again? The Daniel Medvedev celebration? No. We're okay. We probably have I thought that's where we were going. Yeah. (laughs) It was great. Well, I had a text from my mother which said, Congratulations, you finally got a prediction right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you're being trolled by your mum. Really enjoyed the match, she said. That was it. That was the tweet. (laughs) Tweet? The tweet? On Twitter? No, sorry, not the tweet. I mean, (laughs) it reads like a tweet. She, maybe she has got a Twitter account. Maybe she's under some like weird name that I don't know about. Maybe not. I mean, that would be quite something. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he's the champion. Uh, very well done to Dano Medvedev. And, uh, and he was also quite interesting talking about Aust- Australia and the tennis of next year and just the unknowns. And, and him and team, it, it's a really... That it's a really uncertain time. Just just at the moment, having got its feet back under it as a sport, suddenly everything, the foundations are rocking right now. And these next few days, I mean, when we spoke last night, at that time, Tennis Australia hadn't released any official sort of statement. Well, Craig Tiley has spoken in the last 24 hours. In fact, I think a couple of hours after we spoke, he didn't say an awful lot other than to say that he was in constant dialogue with the government and you know they were trying to get clarity as soon as possible because they understood the gravity of of the uncertainty but it's um yeah trying to read anything into what's happened at the end of the year now and cast it forward to next year is a little bit pointless really because we just don't even know when next year will start but um hopefully in the next two or three days we we may have some further information so anything else, Matt, quickly? Well, I, w- I was going to say, do we need to have the what does this mean discussion? I, I, take, I take your point about the difficulty of forecasting. But, you know, this is it feels like 
quite a significant couple of days we've just had in terms mm. of Medvedev and team beating Djokovic and Nadal. I mean, what are we reading into that? Yeah, you're, you, I mean, as much as I agree with everything you just said in your monologue, David, you have sort of put the kibosh on the tennis podcast there by saying forecasting and speculating is pointless <laughs> because we have us. pledged to do podcasts for the next uh well the next forever <laughs> yeah subject to kickstarter backing i've been saving and my ideas given Catherine. there are no confirmed events we really need to be able to forecast and speculate <laughs> oh don't you worry i've got I, we've got i've got a wealth of ideas to uh okay. for us to dig into that i thought i'd keep away from you while you were doing 12 hours of telly every day you know but tomorrow when we when we have the meeting that you don't know about yet um we'll get into all that uh, but anyway actually just just more generally though i'm sitting here thinking well what does it mean same as it did when Sitsipas and dimitrov and all of these other people won when we thought this was some massive moment none of them had reached a grand slam final look i i I feel like uh, Medvedev and team are the, clearly the next best behind those three. Uh, and actually, it's quite interesting hearing team say that he would put Rublev in that little mix of players based on his his five titles. He would he would he he's the one player he would put into the group um, amongst the ranking positions as being a top player in the world right now. But I still feel that when you get to the slams, it's just different. And these people can have still got to figure out that way of winning them when the others are there. Now, team, yes, he has won one. But it it is still the year that Nadal didn't play and Novak Djokovic got defaulted and Roger Federer wasn't there. The Australian Open, when it does happen, will be fascinating. If everybody's fit, we know that... Djokovic, well, he's, it's, he's so amazing at that tournament. And Nadal, there's no real reason, unless he has an injury problem, that he should be subpar, given the way he looks right now. It's it's still different. We've got that evidence. For the last three years, we've got that evidence. We have we had Dimitrov losing to Kyle Edmund we, at the Australian Open. We had Zverev losing to Milos Raonic, horribly, if you remember. Um, and then we had... Sits a pass. I can't even remember who he. I think he lost Raonic, to Raonic as well. Didn't he? Yeah, Medvedev. Yeah. Medvedev will be quaking if he sees Raonic <laughs> in his section of the draw in, in Australia. So you know, I just it's different, and and it'll change eventually. But I, I I don't feel absolutely. I feel very confident in in Dominic Team as as being a regular part of of the big four or five now if you want to call it Medvedev as much as I'm impressed with him I still think has got some proving to do on that score mm. I I certainly agree with you big big picture we need you know we need to wait for the slams until we start kind of declaring this as those those four dreaded words changing of the guard but I do think I agree with Catherine that this edition felt different to Dimitrov, Zverev and Tsitsipas, partly because of what Medvedev and team have already done in the slams. And also, I think what they did in this tournament, they they both beat Nadal and Djokovic. I know it wasn't at the slams, but I always talk about this kind of pack hunter 
thing that the big three have got going on. I think it's I think it's significant that two players have shown that they can beat two of the big three in the same event. And I know they've got to convert that to best of five. Medvedev has never won a five set match. He's he's zero wins, six losses when it when it goes to five wow. sets. That's that's quite a big hurdle you would think he would need to overcome. But something about Medvedev kind of physically outlasting Nadal and team the way he did. Team beating Djokovic in that style of not quite having their best tennis, but winning. They kind of did to the big three what they've been doing to everyone for years. And it, it felt to me like the most significant data point yet, I suppose, of the of the gradual shift, the gradual generational shift. Um, this is all to say that a few weeks ago, we were gobsmacked by the level that Nadal and Djokovic were producing in that French Open final and saying, you know, it's no wonder no one's been able to break through. So I do, I take that as well, but it, it felt it felt significant to me these last two days. Mm. I, I approve of how brilliantly you've put that. It's funny, isn't it? That Matt? was We're, very compelling. We, um, we both listened to the golf podcast, No Laying Up, and they had that sort of conversation after the most recent major golf tournament, the US Masters. And they're talking about how many slam, how many majors are Dustin Johnson and uh, Rory McIlroy and Brooks Kepka going to end up with? And and they they suffer from the same <laughs> recency issues as we do, and how how difficult it is to to put those out of your mind and get some context but uh of all the people matt you're the one i trust so because you, well, you don't, don't get swept up like <laughs> me um but anyway medvedev medvedev got me a consolation goal today in the predictions for the year because i i think i was on minus 161 <laughs> points at the start of the day and i'm now only on minus 135 or something like that so did we think, do official predictions Yes, we did, Catherine. You picked Nadal. Doing that. Yeah, we both went for Nadal. Oh, right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I wasn't even in the game today, at the no, start of today. It was only me in the game today. Right. Okay. Hmm. And I won. But, you know, <laughs> it's like I said, it's a consolation goal. I've still been beaten 9 1 by you and 6 1 by Matt, effectively. Okay. You know, we'll take that. Can you, yeah. So. Catherine's won everybody, and there is a graph that will show that. <laughs> and Catherine looks at it on a daily basis. It's a really great graph. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, this doubles. What happened? Jürgen Melzer lost. I, know that. I can see that you made uh, considerable notes about that. I do, I do know. I do know. It's Wesley Kulhoff <laughs> and Nikola Mektic. Who? Why are they playing together for the final time? They've just won the title six mm. two three six ten five, and they're splitting up. They've just won their first title and their last title. <laughs> yes, the only team ever to win their first doubles title at the ATP Finals. And they're splitting up. And they're splitting up. You would think you would save that conversation until afterwards. Mektic has just dumped him to go to play with Pavic, hasn't he? Well, you, you assume... That, <laughs> I mean, who did the dumping first? These are these are the really important questions. So yes. Wesley Kulhoff is going to play with Lucas Kubot. Uh, Lucas Kubot, who was playing here with Marcelo Mello. And uh, Nikola Mektic is going to play with Matej Pavic. Now, Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic are both Croatian, so that could be potentially with a view to the Olympics. Although, if that were a, if they were if they were inclined to form partnerships with a view to Olympics, you'd think that they would have done that this time last year when everyone is expecting an Olympics to happen in August of this year. So I sort of think uh, Daniela Hantikova made the point on our prime coverage that um, she thinks the, the COVID situation uh, and travel restrictions make players more inclined to want to play with someone in their, in their country mm-hmm. so that literally they are <laughs> nearby for them to be able to hit with and practice with if they are sort of grounded at home. But I, yeah, I mean, having said all of that, it seems really bonkers that they went into that match today knowing that even if they had their respective best ever days on the tennis court, and make no mistake, I think it was that for both Kulhoff and Mektic, they were going to part ways afterwards ensuring that they could never have such a day again together and, unless I, I, they join just, up together again but you know yeah which greg and daniela predict greg said i don't think the split will last six months and daniela said uh, no greg said i predict they'll get back together in six months and daniela said oh i don't even think it'll be that long <laughs> wow um so much fun isn't it, and it, it yeah i mean who knows what's going on behind the scenes maybe they hate one another 
you know, I don't I f- know. I f- you know, like... it's like you never know what's going on in a person's relationship, and, and you know, when a when a celebrity couple that everybody's sort of in love with from afar split up and you go oh no why couldn't they just stay together they seem so happy together it seems so you know they looked so good together maybe it's like that but because um, people don't necessarily want to just let everybody know what's happening do they you know but you think if they hated one another they probably wouldn't be winning one of the biggest titles in the world together um and they have such a i mean they're 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 great strength. They beat Edouard Roger Vassilin and Jürgen Meltzer today, who sort of as individuals are stronger, stronger tennis players. And they, they, they beat them and they were the best team this week on the basis of their, their sort of typical double skills of real understanding as a team, anticipation, this instinctive awareness of where one another are on the court and where they're going to move to. I mean, that's the holy grail for a doubles team, isn't it? I mean, yes, there's a chance that Gulhoff will have that with Kubot and Mektic will have that with Pavish, Pavic, but it seems like a big risk to me. Mm. And especially for Kulhoff, because he's a guy who doesn't win much. <laughs> he had lost 15 of his last 17 finals with about seven or eight different partners he has chopped and changed and suddenly he's found someone and they've won one of the biggest titles available and it is no more i mean maybe there's something in that maybe with so many partners there's something about him but um i don't know we we need to do a doubles deep dive Mm. about this stuff to find out what really goes on gossip deep dive into doubles i am desperate to know desperate okay well we'll get on it um by the way just quickly actually we should we should talk about Jürgen Meltzer this is not this is this is his final match of his career or is he planning to play something next year if it's on there maybe? was some confusion over this i think sort of i think it it's sort of the answer to both those things is i think both those things are correct i think this is sort of his first his last competitive proper match of his career but he kind of hopes to be able to play a couple of testimonials next year to all intents and purposes his relationship with Edouard Roger Vasselin is coming to an end Roger Vasselin is teaming up with Henry Continen next year um, Jürgen Mutzer, he's 39 I think he's already accepted a job with the Austrian Federation starting in February but he he basically wants to be able to play in front of a crowd again. He wants to be able to go out in front of a crowd, which is very understandable. So the Austrian Federation have given him the OK and the Grand Slams have, I think, indicated that they would be amenable to giving him a wild card. Well, no, he wouldn't need a wild card, would he? I suppose it depends who he plays with, which mm. is up in the air because Edouard Roger Vasselin <laughs> has trotted off into the sunset with <laughs> Henry Continent. Um, he has indicated that he if it were possible, would play the Australian Open and or Wimbledon in order to go out, hopefully, in front of some crowds. Um, But that all feels very uncertain. So (laughs) I'd say say there would have been a good portion of Jürgen Maltz's brain today that was treating that as his 
as his swan song. Hmm. Yeah. Now, we've talked a lot about um, how the landscape has changed inevitably in tennis at the moment. And, I th- and just as a quick snapshot of that, I was just looking at the, the prize money won this year in the singles by Daniel Medvedev, which is $1.564 million. So $1.5 million. Last year, Stefano Tsitsipas won more than a million dollars, more than that. He won $2.65 million. And uh, Medvedev's won 1.56 million. Um, it's pretty jarring, isn't it, to see see the difference? The total prize fund is 5.7 million dollars compared to nine million a year ago. Um, yeah, that's the new world we're in, just at the moment. Mm. I'm 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 pretty impressed and staggered that the numbers are still so big. Frankly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's obviously a huge drop off, but it's, yeah, given the circumstances, going from 17,000 fans twice a day, you know, two sessions of 17,000 people, hospitality included in that to nothing. Um, I think it's, it's pretty impressive that the numbers are still what they are. Yeah, agreed. So it is the twelfth year uh, this tournament came to the O2 Arena for the first time in two thousand and nine, and was won by Nikolai Davidenko um, in the final, and he beat Roger Federer along the way for the first time in his career. He'd been, I think, he got a horrendous record against him until that match. Um, it was the one that began with Andy Murray facing one Martin Del Potro, I always remember, in the first group match um, in 2009. And then in the end, despite the fact that he beat Del Potro, it was Del Potro who edged Murray out, I think, by a single game in the game percentages into the semifinals. Um, that, it's, that was back in the days when nobody... Well, I say back in the days, in in the UK government, we seem still to be in those days, but nobody could properly work an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, they've they've really got their act little, together since that. And, little uh, they... test and trace gag for you there. <laughs> <laughs> they, they know, it's quite funny as I was looking at the order of play from back then, and they were playing two matches from 7pm, uh, singles, uh, singles and the doubles, um, and the doubles first, and the the singles was not before eight forty five, uh, and they they had one three hour epic, and I never forget the exodus of people who suddenly realised the tubes were about to close down, and uh, there was no way of extending them, um, and uh, yeah, there were quite a few teething problems in that first year. I mean, inevitably, you know, given the scale of the event and and, and it being new, but. It's been a massive success, really, hasn't it? Way beyond what I could have expected. I mean, as you said, best part of a quarter of a million people through the doors every year. Um, and, yeah, the, the the city just and the people of the city just really took it to their hearts. They just loved going out for a night out. There was a different atmosphere in the night sessions to what there was in the afternoon sessions. Um, the matches weren't always great i think i think you can maybe be a bit misty-eyed about the quality of it all but 
often you would get to the the end of the year and a player would lose a tight first set and the second there was no chance that anybody was going to make a comeback you know um but what stands out for you Catherine do, do you have any specific favorite memories of 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 this tournament goodness well i was i was at that first final uh davidenko del potro as a as a fan with my dad I think you organised me tickets for that, uh, and we were we, we decided not to get the tube because of fears about getting getting home. Because the horror stories that year about trying to get the tube out of there were were so severe. We we drove, and um, in typical me and my dad fashion, uh, when when I'm with my mum, we're you know an hour early for everything. Uh, but my dad, dad and I had underestimated the traffic and we were very, very late. And I think we saw, yeah, I mean, the the final couple of games of Nikolai Davidenko winning the title, which, <laughs> all due respect to Nikolai Davidenko, possibly wasn't exactly what we'd been hoping to witness. <laughs> Hang on, so you'd missed the doubles as well? We'd missed the doubles. <laughs> <laughs> we'd missed every competitive portion of the singles. And um, we just sort of got there for Davidenko's trophy lift, <laughs> living the tennis spectator dream. Um, it was still very enjoyable, David. Thank you. Thank you for the tickets. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Did you need um, me to organise you a dental trip before it? Or? <laughs> um, I also, I mean, I've, I've already referenced it. I vividly remember watching on the telly after that final group stage match involving Del Potro, when extraordinarily nobody knew. Mm. Nobody knew what the scenario was. And yes, it was the tournament's first year in London, but the tournament had existed before that yeah. with the same rules. They didn't have a computerised <laughs> mechanism for this to be worked Truly out. Truly extraordinary that that wasn't automated. I do remember one of the all-time hilarious rants from my colleague at BBC Radio, Jonathan Overend, who just started raging about the people that were in front of him not knowing what was going on. Um, and meanwhile, I think Del Potro had finished his match. He was, I think he was hitting some balls with Carlos Tevez or something yes. like that on the court whilst Murray was, tweet <laughs> Murray was tweeting, does anybody know what's going on? Am I through? Um, and oh Jonathan was goodness. shouting, look at these clowns with their clipboards. <laughs> <laughs> trying to work it all out um but i mean you know to remember it i mean it's a footnote isn't it really because these problems never surfaced again that as soon as that happened they realized the things they needed to do right the next year and the organization of the event i mean look i'm slightly biased because the organizer the one of the brains behind it was chris commode and he's somebody i worked with for many years at queens but it's just exactly what he's good at it, just putting on an event understanding that you could play twice a day with two completely separate audiences and and pack the place out even if it's not roger federer who's on the order of play and and that's what happened so um yeah, it's been a massive success. You got any highlights, Matt? Personal favourites? Yeah, lots. Um, I think it was interesting the point you made about maybe we can get a bit misty-eyed about the actual tennis. I think the way I will look back on the, the tennis 
that's been played is that considering the era that the ATP finals were at the O2, considering the players, there was probably not not a very high number of sort of absolute classic matches that you might expect considering this was basically the year of the big four. Um, but I would say that every year, pretty much there was come some kind of saving grace match. You know, there was, there was all, there tended to be one epic that you remembered. And I think those, those matches, I'm thinking team Djokovic last year, Murray Raonic, in 2016, Federer of Rinka 2014. You know, there was always always some sort of epic match, it felt like. Um, but I think one of my main kind of impressions of it is I first went to it in 2010. And I think the only time, the only tennis I'd ever been to before that was Wimbledon. And I think what was so important about this event, we kind of take it for granted now because we're so used to it, but they marketed themselves and branded themselves as completely different to Wimbledon for that London audience who may have only experienced Wimbledon. And and they sort of showed you that tennis could be different. You know, it could have flashing lights. It could have player entrances. It could have a heartbeat. And I think the show has always been incredible and they've always, and they've always had some, some wonderful atmospheres as well. Um, yeah, I actually found myself feeling really quite sad today. Um, mm. It was it was it was mainly Catherine's fault because she just did such a wonderful pitch about the end of the O2 era on Prime, reflecting on kind of the poignancy of of being there, and it really did make me think this event is not getting the send off it deserves. And I think I think part of that is because we don't do this much in tennis. It doesn't happen that you leave a venue that much. One of the things I love so much about tennis is it goes back to the same places, the same physical spaces every year. And, you know, walking around the grounds at all the slams, all the Master Series 500s, you do feel a sense of history and a, and a sense of meaning. And, um, you know, I suppose it's the same with all venues, isn't it? Theatres or football stadiums, they all... They all have some kind of atmosphere of everything that's of all the performances or the moments that have happened in the past. And I don't know, they kind of become a bit of the fabric and they create this character. And the, the ATP finals have been at the O2 long enough that that venue had a tennis character to it. When you mm-hmm. went into that stadium, you remembered the previous matches. And I love the idea of that event moving around. And I think it's probably the right time. And I think it should move around. But it had been there long enough that so many people have created memories there. And I think that was that was why it's kind of sad to, to kind of leave them behind, I suppose. Yeah. Gosh, I wonderfully put it. It hasn't been just a vessel, has it, for the tennis? It, mm. It's exactly as you said, it's become part of the fabric of it. And I, I've had, I'm experiencing that real end of event sadness, not right now. I'm, very happy to be doing this podcast and recording with you. I'm very grateful for it because as I was walking the very, very short walk <laughs> from the arena back to the hotel, I mean, it's practically the same building. Um, I had the, I had a real heavy heart and I, I actually wondered if I would get that this year because usually, usually that end of event depression or lull comes a result of the the loss of adrenaline and the loss of 
energy, the loss of the rush that you get from being on site in an event with 17,000 people and and everything that comes with that. Um, and the answer is, I, I mean, I'm sure it's amplified because it, it it's the, the poignancy of the last event, last time it's held here in London. But I can confirm I very much do have that end of event feeling of sadness. And I think that that probably tells me something about the the week, the week that I've experienced that in spite of, in spite of there not being any crowds and that has made me desperately sad and it has not, it, that feeling hasn't been alleviated over the course of the week. If anything, actually it's got, it's got worse. Um, but in spite of all of that, this event has given, given me an energy. It's energized me and it's, it has given me that rush of an adre- of adrenaline that this sort of event should. And um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to miss it this mm. week. The, the other thing it has done for this country is it's just let people know that tennis isn't just the summer. It's November. And that's what's been happening for the last 12 years that the country has been aware of tennis in November, which if you consider in a year's time, I and mean, look, I think Turin can be a fantastic home for it. I think that there could be a wonderful energy there. I think it's the right time for that country with the amount of thriving tennis players coming out of it and the, and the infrastructure they have. It, I think it can be fantastic, you know, pandemic willing, etc. But the the effect of, of it in this country is going to be significant in that the BBC, for instance, are not going to cover it next year. This is the end of the BBC TV coverage of this event now, at least for the time being. They, they don't have any plans to cover it next year. Now, it'll, I'm sure it'll be wonderfully presented, hopefully, by Catherine Whittaker on site in Turin because she did an incredible job. And I'm not just saying that because she's looking at me, but she did. Um, but obviously terrestrial coverage is, is a big deal for, for awareness of the sport um and yeah as i said 250,000 people the best part of normally come to the event in november and that was a huge boon to the sport over the last 12 years without question it 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 showed people that tennis didn't have to be summer and it didn't have to be strawberries and cream and and pims it didn't have to be blazers and tradition I think there's a place for all of that and I love so many aspects of it. I'm not trashing Wimbledon and tradition. It's it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but it is not for everyone and it's not necessarily in- inclusive. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I, I realise this, this event hasn't been the peak of in- inclusivity. It's still been expensive and sometimes hard to get to etc etc but it definitely has made tennis accessible in this country to a completely different demographic of people I have friends and acquaintances of friends of friends that have never really even considered going to Wimbledon but have come to this Mm. Um, and that's going to be missed all of that is going to be missed I hope it will have a legacy I hope for for a generation of people um it will have made them think about tennis in a slightly different way but it will certainly be missed very well said um lovely memories and um yeah i'm really 
chuffed that we we've we've been able to cover it with daily podcasts this uh, week even though matt and i weren't able to be on site this time but it's great that you were and to be able to give us a, a real insight into what what it felt like to be there um should we finish on a jollier note because it all feels a bit down in the dumps doesn't it uh, and we do we do have one or two loose ends to to pick up from last night because you may remember i did ask the very important question what is a meme and i've looked it up and i can tell you uh mom that a meme is an amusing or interesting item such as a captioned picture or video or genre of items that is spread widely online, especially through social media. So there you are. Then I went and had a look at the Urban Dictionary, which said that memes are graceful, exquisite entities bestowed upon us, (laughs) bestowed on us filthy peasants, which are sporadically known to drift one into a sea of existential crises. This is also an exemplary method of eliminating depression once and for all. When all was lost, memes cured my depression. That's what the Urban Dictionary says. Uh, And Catherine was a meme yesterday. Uh, somebody's also written that they would like a meme of me asking what is a meme. <laughs> you know, I think you can study memes now. Can you? Mm. I think there are sort of modules in university courses on memes. You could see Catherine's face right now. <laughs> mm, yeah. I'm not sure I was a meme. I think you, you have to have an enduring, an enduring uh, impact to be a meme. Well, you're our meme. The Tennis Podcast's official meme. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, I've had um, a couple of people jump to my defence about Grease 2. Dan Connolly, the Alistair Cook impersonator, uh, and also actor, uh, said David Law Tennis is right. Grease 2 is great. Michelle Pfeiffer is everything, and some of the songs are absolute tunes. Hashtag cool rider. I'm not saying Grease 2 isn't fine or decent or good or whatever you want to call it i'm just saying you don't you don't talk about the grease movies it's grease and then some subsequent related movies that may or may not be good and you may or may not have enjoyed and good luck to you if you did that's fine but it's it's grease Alan Palmer says, recently discovered tennis podcast, which I love. However, the Grease 2 diss from Catherine Whittaker Sport was a hard knock to take. <laughs> Glad that David Law Tennis is a I, fan. I enjoyed Grease 2. <laughs> this is meant to be the it's happy note I- to finish on, not the argument, It's not David. iconic. <laughs> Grease is iconic, and Grease 2 was a good film riding on its coattails. Nobody, nobody talks about the Grease movies. It's not a thing. I'm not trashing Grease 2. It's an enjoyable watch. But Greece stands on its own. I do actually agree. <laughs> uh, the, the only sequel was the, is it, has there ever been a sequel better than the original? Toy Story two. Oh, that's controversial. I love Toy Story. Yeah, so do I. They're all great, and I'm I'm Paddington uh, two. I, th- th- yes, strong agree with Paddington two. Shrek two. Shrek two is amazing. Hmm. <laughs> It is. Yeah, but these, We've these done this are before. all movies which I think is okay to treat as a collection. Right. Unlike Greece and Greece 2 separately. Agreed. We got any shout outs, Matt? Yes, we do. And, and I should say, 
I think these are our last shout outs of the year. If if anyone is has been listening to all 137 episodes waiting for their shout out and they're not in this next group of three, then please get in touch and I will check my list. But I think these are our last three. Um, and I should say that we still have some intros left. So we will be using those throughout our remaining podcast. So if you've not heard your intro yet, those are to come. This is episode 140. I am, I'm just able to confirm that. Right. Okay. So the final three shout outs, and I'm going to do them as a group. They are for Trevor Law, Barbara Law, and Sally Ann Law. Well, two of those I'm related to. Oh, are you not related to the other one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm related to Sally Ann. (laughs) (laughs) But the first two are my parents. (laughs) But Sally Ann, you're a a legend with a magnificent name. Um, And I deeply appreciate your support. (laughs) And thanks, Mum and Dad. Does that mean your mum and dad contributed separately yeah. to the kickstarter yeah my mum's been in doing order it to for, get separate shout outs i think so my mum's been doing oh, it for a that's while so lovely and uh, I, I came into i mean i'm going to be bigging up our show here uh but i can i i i sort of i gave i gave them a call this morning and uh they said i said have you been your walk yet and they said we, we, we were just about to go and we thought we'd watch half the podcast before the walk and half after it uh, watch uh, we'd listen to half the podcast before and half half after it um but then the story about the fall began halfway through <laughs> and they couldn't they couldn't leave the house until they finished it <laughs> and, then, and then they said they were they were found it all very amusing so uh well hello trevor and barbara and also Sally Ann. Yeah, Sally Ann's a, awesome. In the same way that Greece and Greece 2 should perhaps be treated as separate entities. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara and Trevor, you are Greece. Sally Ann, you are the also also great and enjoyable but separate <laughs> Greece 2. <laughs> I, th- I think this is my... I think this might be my favourite shout-out moment of the year. We had a great one in in Australia. Do you remember where where <laughs> where the person who received the shout-out, David, said, "Oh, she, she's staying in my house." <laughs> yes, <laughs> factual. Yes, but this is also a great one. I was so confident that I had a uh, I had a trio of the same law family. Magnificent! <laughs> great job, Matt. I've got I've got one additional um, pseudo shout out. Well, no, just shout out. Frankly, an additional submission is not a member of the law family or imposter member of the law family, um, and I don't know their names, which is why I want to give them a shout out because I'm so terribly sorry. I was stopped by a group of people who I think were involved with the Ball Kids. Uh, in the lobby this evening, as I was returning uh, from the hotel, I was have uh, whilst I was having my uh, <laughs> poignant, sad walk back from the O2 to the hotel, um, and they they stopped me and asked for a photo and said they loved the podcast. Um, and uh, there, there were three of them, and I'm so sorry. I was so sort of 
flustered and embarrassed and you know having busy having profound thoughts that I didn't ask for your names uh, but one of them as I as I said oh thanks so much bye started giving me a, a round of applause as I walked <laughs> towards the lift <laughs> was which that was just related I wonder and I wish I'd acknowledged that because it was the loveliest thing but I, I was um I didn't know what to do with it, it was so nice really so oh, thank you can we also make thank a you. I mean they probably to... haven't listened this far because, you know, the Nobody last 10 minutes have been me reviewing Greece too. <laughs> but uh, if you have, there's your reward. And thank yeah. you. We, we know that nobody's listened to this bit, so we can just have a good laugh and do whatever we like. Um, can we also mention Billie Jean? Yeah. Because today Which is one? Billie Jean King's... 77th birthday so happy birthday Billie Jean King and, and, happy birthday. and have you seen the videos of her playing tennis on her birthday yes no I have oh, I must a, oh great so good fantastic um but we were given some news today on Billie Jean King's 77th birthday that was equally magnificent Catherine the floor is yours well, I've become a 2020 lockdown cliche, and I've I've got a puppy. Hooray! I've gone and done it, folks. Rosie, if you're listening, I still love you very, <laughs> very much. You're my favourite. Um, but uh, fans of the show will know how very much I fell in love with Magnus this summer, um, in spite of his pooing live on the podcast. <laughs> That's how adorable he was. Our final <laughs> Wimbledon relived show, if, if anyone <laughs> wants to go back to that moment. Um, so I, I, I will soon be welcoming Magnus's sister into the Whitaker family. And she will be and is already called Billie Jean. Because, well, I mean, because not Michael Jackson, basically. <laughs> Um, it's very important to say named after Billie Jean King and not after the music of Michael Jackson. Yeah. And I'm very aware that uh, I'll spend the rest of her life uh, explaining that she's not named after Michael Jackson. Um, but I still think it's a, a worthwhile price to pay for her being named after someone so iconic and inspirational. Wonderful. We very much look forward to meeting Billie Jean uh, and... Uh, uh, yeah, there are photos on our Twitter and Instagram accounts if you'd like to go and have a look. She's she's lovely. Uh, so, yeah, go and do that. Um, right, now, that's it. Tennis podcasts are over for the ATP Finals in 2020. They ain't over t- for 2020 overall, though, because we're <laughs> going to be back next week. Um, oh, come on, is that some enthusiasm? <laughs> um, I'm doing a big smile. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that what it is? I thought that was a grimace, uh, but no, no it's, it's, a, a it's a smile. It's a smile. Magnificent. I'm dreading tomorrow without yeah. doing any broadcasting. How long do we leave it until we have the meeting that I've got planned? Um, Tuesday. 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 Right. Okay. <laughs> Very firm Tuesday there, folks. <laughs> Definitely not Monday. That's not happening. Um, but yes, we, we're not going to stop. We're going to be back next week and then we're going to be with you throughout December as well. We are going to be busy planning as well. 2021 which may not have an australian open in january you know what that means don't you (laughs) ao relift (laughs) is under works in my head 
as we speak. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, our crowdfunding campaign for 2021 begins on the 1st of December. We have a link in our show notes right now if you'd like a reminder on the day the exact moment that we send that live if you want to be at the front of the queue for any of the various categories that we we've got with pet mascots and we've got lots of those uh and predictions competitions and all sorts of things um so yeah thanks to everybody who's backed us over the course of this year but also just thanks for everybody that's listened and uh and and taken something out of the show and enjoyed it and, and sent us really nice nice notes to let us know we really appreciate it mm, um thank you yeah it's it's just been a brilliant week i, I think it it's funny i mean i've not I've, I've missed being at the o2 this this week i it's the first one i've not been at um in its 12 years but i've i've probably enjoyed this the podcast process of the last week more than the other years when we were there it's just been absolutely we've had a we've had a ball it's been amazing um we have so thank you to douglas heard for that (laughs) yeah there's a full 10 minutes of laughing that didn't make it into uh yesterday's podcast (laughs) i can confirm that uh yes that's that's absolutely true um yeah matt catherine thank you so much for uh for doing this i love it i love it um and uh, we'll be back with more of them in the future very very soon see you soon normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and united healthcare makes it easy with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they supplement your primary plan helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods so when it comes to covering your medical bills you can feel good about being a little extra visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.